Hello there everyone, I'm Rob, a producer on the Black Country Talking News, and this week's edition is the 17th of August, 2022. And welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the Sight Loss Charity Beacon Centre. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've installed the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is say, Alexa, play Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app on the Beacon Centre website, www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking hyphen news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify, or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 880 We hope you enjoy this week's edition. Thank you, Liz. Speaking for us this week, we have myself, Rob, Mina, Christine, Liz, Ed, Craig, Helen, Angela, Anne, Alastair, Nikki, and of course, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, we have an update from Beacon, some local news in the Black Country, we have our weekly trivia quiz, news from Wolves and West Bromwich Albion, a Did You Know section from Flashback Roger, the weather, information about accessible information rights, a letter by the Thomas Pocklington Trust for the Conservative Party leader candidates, some facts about the Midlands, and rounding us off, we hear about the 70-year history of poet laureates under the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. However, we start this week with our guest the sound question. I'm going to play a sound clip, and all you have to do is simply guess what it is. So, here's this week's clip. Have a think on that, and Mina will reveal the answer later, alongside the usual quiz answers. We have now then, as always, some local news, brought to us by Ed, Angela, Liz, and first up, it's Christine. Spectators, residents and visitors to the West Midlands helped the region's public transport network reach record numbers of journeys during the Commonwealth Games. Local train, tram, cycle and bus travel all saw record-breaking numbers across the 11 days as hundreds of thousands of sports fans made their way around the region. Transport for West Midlands, working with transport operators and local authorities, developed, delivered and coordinated transport services for spectators throughout the Games, including running some 600 shuttle buses to and from venues across the region. Among the records included more than 650,000 spectator journeys on shuttle buses and Birmingham New Street seeing its busiest day since opening, with more than 255,000 passengers travelling through the station on Saturday, August 6th. Other achievements included West Midlands Cycle Hire, doubling the number of bike and e-bike rentals with 28,000 hires during the Commonwealth Games and 64,910 parking spaces being booked through the park and ride service. 
These records were broken because all event ticket holders had public transport included in their ticket price as part of the Commonwealth Games Transport Plan. This was agreed by the West Midlands Combined Authority Board in June 2021 and helped to make Birmingham 2022 a greener Games. The focus on public transport and shuttle buses meant that private car use and traffic congestion was kept to an absolute minimum throughout. Learner drivers in the Black Country are are unable to book driving tests this side of Christmas due to the countless issues facing the industry. Tests have been hard to come by since the pandemic halted testing, resulting in a lengthy backlog which is still being worked through to this day. It is also being impacted by a shortage of examiners This uncertainty around COVID prompted many examiners to retire or change career. Currently, those looking for tests at centres in Wolverhampton, Wensbury, Litchfield, Wensbury and Dudley for any date this side of 2023 will be met with the message, no tests found on any date. This wait time has left some desperate, seeing some people paying up to £200 for tests booked by automated software. Add on to this the skyrocketing price of fuel, causing lesson prices to jump and the landscape for learners is increasingly bleak. The DVSA says it hopes waiting times will be brought down to around 10 weeks by the end of the year, and that recruitment drive is in full force to achieve this. Mick Singh, an independent driving instructor who has helped people across the black country prepare for their tests for more than 20 years, has seen people pay £200 out of desperation. He said it is ridiculous. You only get two years on your theory, It's taking you six months to to get a test, and then if you fail, what do you do? You are stuck. There are no tests anywhere anymore, and everyone is suffering. I've heard people paying £200 to get one, which is a lot of profit for people in the middle. Dudley Council spent over £5,000 on one night in central London, having attended an awards ceremony and stayed at a Hilton hotel. Taxpayers picked up the bill for the trip, which included train transport, a table for 10 at the local government Chronicle Awards and a night in the Doubletree Hilton Hotel outside London Victoria Station. The trip took place as the council's street cleaners had been nominated in the Large Team of the Year category for their efforts in cleaning up Dudley streets, but they were pipped to the post by Coventry City Council. The event, held on the 20th of July 2022 at Grosvenor House, London, was attended by one elected member of Dudley Council, along with four local volunteer and frontline service workers. Dudley Council was one of four West Midlands local authorities present alongside Birmingham, Coventry and Wolverhampton. After being picked to the awards post by Coventry Council, the five-person team racked up a bill of £5,390 for a one-night stay. The first item on the bill was a table for 10 at the local Government Chronicle Awards, with a total cost of £3,400. This was followed by a night spent in the Doubletree Hilton Hotel outside London Victoria Station, costing £1,740 for five guests. A hotel Dudley Council said was the recommended hotel by event organisers for location and cost. The grand total also included £250 train tickets for four passengers with one travelling by car. Councillor Kadar Zada, leader of Dudley's Labour Group, said the council should be ashamed of themselves. Councillor Zada said 
This just shows how completely out of touch the Conservatives are. In Dudley, people are worried about the cost of living and any reasonable and responsible authority would be looking at ways they can help their residents. Conservatives in Dudley are looking at every opportunity they can to help themselves to the hard-earned money of Dudley residents. To spend almost £6,000 a night is showing pure contempt for local people. They should be ashamed of themselves. This is Boris Johnson antics in Dudley. Dudley Council argued that despite the costs, events like these allow the council to raise its profile. Hundreds of people were killed or injured in drink driving incidents in Staffordshire and the Black Country over just three years, new figures show. Office for Health Improvement and Disparities figures show 53 people were killed or injured in a crash in Walsall where there was a failed breathalyser test or the driver refused to take one between 2018 and 2020. It was 59 people in Sandwell, 38 in Dudley and 70 in Wolverhampton. Meanwhile, drink driving accounted for a higher proportion of road casualties in Staffordshire over the three years than almost anywhere else in England, with the figures showing the number killed or injured to be 198. The campaign against drink driving said the more than 14,000 casualties across the country shows there are many people who need to be educated about the perils of drink and drug driving. Operation Lightning is Staffordshire's police dedicated operation focusing on road safety, helping to make our county's roads safer. It aims to reduce the number of deaths and serious injuries on the roads of Staffordshire and to disrupt and deter criminals from using the road network. Bosses have warned of the dangers of driving even after a small amount of alcohol. A spokesman for Staffordshire Police said, You might think that one or two drinks won't matter, but even a small amount of alcohol can affect your ability to drive safely. So the best advice is to make alternative travel plans or avoid alcohol completely if you are driving. You are more likely to be involved in a crash if you drink drive. Alcohol makes people's reactions slower and makes processing information more difficult. So when driving, this can impact on decision making and reactions times, which puts drivers, passengers and other road users at risk. The consequences of drink driving are serious and can include a minimum 12 month driving ban, a criminal record, a hefty fine up to six months in prison and an endorsement on your licence for 11 years. Nearly 200 children have been reported missing from care in Dudley over the last three years, including one nursery-aged child. Since July 2019, 168 children have gone missing from care homes, foster carers or other settings. Figures also revealed that many of the children went missing multiple times with 891 total reported cases during the three-year period. It is believed that many youngsters in care struggled to cope with tighter curfews and movement restrictions, fueling a rise in missing children reports. 
In response, Dudley Council has highlighted the effect the pandemic has had on some of its most vulnerable children and their support networks. Rates look set to rise again in 2022, with half the number of last year's total already reported before the end of July. Two-thirds of the lost children were between 15 and 17, but 29 of the children were under the age of 13. This included six 10-year-olds and one nursery-aged child who is understood to have reportedly been found safely shortly after the report was made. Councillor Ruth Buttery, the Cabinet Member for Children's Services, said, The well-being and safeguarding of children remain a top priority and we work closely with our partners to support those who are most at risk. This data highlights all too well how the pandemic affected some of our most vulnerable youngsters with the closure of schools and other facilities seriously impacting their routines and support networks. During the pandemic, Dudley Council increased partnership safeguarding meetings and worked with schools to ensure spaces were offered to those who most needed them, which is why regionally we saw some of the highest numbers in school. We are continuously making improvements to our safeguarding processes and hold a daily meeting with partners to check for and review any missing children. The figures did not cover the outcome of all cases or the number of days that children were missing. Care bosses say that all reports of missing children followed a strict process with social workers, police and other agencies meeting daily to track missing youngsters. Up next, we hear from Helen, who of course has for us the Beacon update. Hi everyone, it's Helen at Beacon. How are you? I hope that you're all keeping okay and managed during the warmer weather all right. If you can hear a noise in the background, um, well, I'm actually recording this while it's still pretty warm and we've got fans on across the house. I am very much looking forward to a spell of colder weather, I think, although I'm sure that when it arrives, I'll be moaning that it's not sunny. Anyway, now, first up this week, have you got your ticket yet? We've got 10 amazing prizes up for grabs in our summer raffle, including family days out and sporting memorabilia. It costs just £1 per entry and you can get your ticket online or in any of our shops. To do so online, you just need to head to www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Beacons Summer Raffle 2022. And if you fancy any extra pounds in your pocket, and let's face it, who doesn't? Well, you could also sign up to the Wolves Lottery, as well as being in with a chance of winning £1,000 every week. You'll also be supporting people with sight loss with a donation of 65 pence from every £1 played made to the Beacon Centre. It costs just £1 a week to enter and you can find out more on our website www.beaconvision.org forward slash support hyphen us forward slash wolves hyphen lottery. Next this week, we've got some trips lined up with Beacon that will really float your boat. You'll see what I'm doing here in a minute. On Wednesday, September the 7th, we will be enjoying a narrowboat trip with our friends at Wildside Activity Centre in Wolverhampton. While on the Friday, the 7th of October, 
we'll be going on a magical journey by boat through Dudley's limestone tunnels at the amazing Dudley Canal and Tunnel Trust. Now, I have been on both with my kids and I must say they're fantastic experiences. I'd really recommend it. So to find out more or to book your place, why not give us a call on 01902 880 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org. Lastly this week, we would like to say a huge thank you to the team at AF Blakemore & Son Limited who have recently made a really generous donation to help fund a new quiet area that we're looking to build at our centre. We so appreciate their support for the project to make a difference for our members who want to take social interaction at a slower pace. If you'd like to find out more about how we help people impacted by sight loss, then get in touch. The number, as before, is 01902 880111. And I'll give you the email one more time. It's inquiries at beaconvision.org. That's all for this week. I'll be back soon. Bye-bye. Cheers for that Beacon update, Helen. Up now, we go into another section of local news. And starting this one off, it's Angela. Controversial plans to build a housing estate on treasured grazing fields excluded from the Black Country plan have been met with a torrent of objections. Charles Church Homes and the Dudley Group NHS Foundation Trust have submitted plans for 84 homes on Corbett Meadow, the last piece of undeveloped land in Amblecote. The site, next to the Corbett Hospital on the outskirts of Stourbridge, looked to have been saved after it was not included in last year's draft version of the Black Country Plan. But developers have now formally submitted proposals to Dudley Council for part of the site which sits off Vicarage Road. A design and access statement says the scheme, dubbed Amblecote Grange, aims to provide 84 homes as well as comprehensive landscaping, play area, new public open spaces alongside a sustainable drainage strategy and improvements to the established vehicular access off Vicarage Road. Plans to develop the site have long been met with opposition, as it was said to have been given to the people of Ambercote in the 19th century to be used for medical and recuperation purposes. The scheme has been opposed by residents, including members of the Save the Corbett Meadow Action Group. They claim the development would get rid of the last green space in the area, cause environmental damage, put a strain on local services and increase congestion to unbearable levels. One objection letter says, Apart from the loss of an invaluable green lung and the substantial ecological harm this will bring to the area, it flies in the face of John Corbett's original gift to the people of Amblecote and Stourbridge 130 years ago. The Dudley Group NHS Foundation Trust has said it is required to sell the land so funds can be redirected into patient care. A city bar owner has spoken of his frustration at having to temporarily close due to ongoing roadworks. Johnny Jones, who owns North Street Social in Wolverhampton, has said that the current spate of roadworks on and around North Street have forced him to have to close the venue due to lack of accessibility to the building. He said the bar, which opened in February, had been enjoying large crowds, but the city centre roadworks have stopped customers from coming to the door. He said we opened when the roadworks were more towards the Red Lion Street end of North Street, which with a very successful start to life. 
This was even without the unusual footfall of the taxi run that drops off right outside our premises until this year when the road has been closed off. Unfortunately, as the roadworks have crept up the road to the point where we actually have no safe access to our building currently, it has forced us to temporarily close as our customers simply cannot get to our doors. Mr Jones said he has seen a direct correlation with the reduction of accessibility and a sharp drop in trade over, six, over a six-month period, going from £50,000 turnover in the month at the beginning to just £6,500 across the whole month in July. He also spoke of his frustration at the building being vandalised by drunk people and asked Wolverhampton Council for better communication on the matter. He said, We find ourselves in a very tough predicament as we have reached out to the council for support and better communication and yet we find ourselves being ignored. I see how positive the works will be for the aesthetics and overall perception of the city but I believe this all could be handled much, much better. An adventure playground has been targeted by vandals and thieves in a series of attacks. Those responsible have caused significant damage to the playground, destroying wooden panels, cutting through fencing and even bending the wheels of a pedal go-kart. The incident has been described as the worst one yet and has resulted in a lot of damage which will need funding in order to be put right. Sycamore Adventure offers youngsters, whatever their ability, the opportunity to experience indoor and outdoor play. Outside there are sunken trampolines, play structures, a sand pit and boat, a carved dragon, swings, slides and accessible water features. Over the last few months, the playground has been targeted numerous times, seeing go-karts being stolen and holes being cut in perimeter fences. Donna Haddock, volunteer at Sycamore Adventure, said, We normally just brush ourselves off, put on a smile and carry on as normal for the children. This was the worst one yet and caused an awful lot of mindless damage that is going to take a little more than a few nails and wood to be able to fix. We rely heavily on customer donations to keep the centre going, so have little in the way of money to now fix the damage caused from this latest break-in. They broke into our storage area through the back of the waterfall by kicking in the panels and then breaking the wheels off the go-karts we have left, along with damaging the locks and door in the process. Donna added, We need to replace the panelling that was destroyed in gaining entry as well as look into a more secure door to stop this being repeated again. We love what we are able to offer here at Sycamore as we are very unique and we want to be able to continue to do so for many years to come and many more children to enjoy being able to play free. Canals across the Black Country and Birmingham will be used to transport more goods under a revolutionary new freight strategy. Transport chiefs say the use of canals to move greater quantities of goods must be considered if the region is to decarbonise freight and free up the roads. Birmingham has 35 miles of canals, which is said to be more than Venice, but in the UK only around 13% of goods are shipped by sea and inland waterways. The plans are set to be revealed in a new freight strategy report by regional transport body Midlands Connect. 
The report suggests moving freight transport to more sustainable modes where practicable. It goes on to say transport modes such as water freight and rail freight are more sustainable and emit less per tonne carried, particularly carbon dioxide. To decarbonise freight further, modal shift needs to occur and our work needs to identify how we can deliver this. The report adds that the use of canals for freight must be considered. Commenting on the report, Richard Bradley, Midlands Connects Head of Strategy, said, We are evolving the way goods are transferred around the region and the country. This isn't just about taking a step back in history, but using all the infrastructure we have and finding new ways and new plans to use everything we have. Our aim is to get more freight off roads where traffic pollution is known to cause severe health problems in built-up areas, and canals could be a cleaner and greener way to deliver goods from A to B. Restoration work at Dudley Borough's historic Red House Glass Cone is expected to start next spring, council chiefs have said. The work will cost £1.5 million and is intended to help safeguard the historic symbol of black country industry for future generations. Work will be carried out to restore the structure, which is already one of the best preserved of the UK's surviving glass cones, and it will also see weeds removed from the Wordsley landmark, built between 1788 and 1794. Councillor Simon Phipps, Dudley Council's Cabinet Member for Regeneration and Enterprise, said plans for the repair work are progressing and an application for scheduled monument consent had been submitted but will need to be approved before any work can take place. Plans are now being finalised with an expectation that work will start next spring. Councillor Phipps said, I'm pleased that plans to repair the cone are progressing. Surveys have now been completed and we have submitted an application for scheduled monument consent, which is necessary to obtain before any works are allowed to proceed on such a historic building. We are currently finalising the work programme in readiness for repairs to start in the spring and we look forward to the day we can reopen the cone to visitors. Although the cone is currently closed, the rest of the site is open to the public and visitors are very welcome to browse the on-site store, visit our fantastic collection of independent stores and dine in the cafe. Announcing the scheme earlier this year, he said, We're very lucky to have such a well-preserved historic monument in our local area, which ties into hundreds of years of history. It would be remiss of the council not to make the absolute most of such a wonderfully historic building, which is why we're putting in £1.5 million to restore the structure and keep the Red House glass cone educating and entertaining people from all over for another 100 years. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's guide dog themed flashback quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, here are your questions. Are you ready? Question 1. What was the name of Blue Peter's first guide dogs? Question 2. 
In what year were guide dogs established in Britain? Question 3. How many people have guide dogs helped since their outset? Question 4. Apart from obstacles on the ground, what else do guide dogs avoid? Question 5. Where is their first century mural thought to depict a guide dog? And finally, question 6. What else are guide dogs trained to offer? As always, I'll be back to reveal the answers later in the show. But for now, good luck! Cheers for those quiz questions, Mina. I'll of course give those a ponder. Up now, we have another block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear Ed. A Sedgley graveyard has been reopened after its closure on safety grounds earlier this week. Volunteers who maintain the graveyard for All Saints Church were furious when they were locked out, as were those who with loved ones buried there. After a barrage of complaints, Dudley Council officials and councillors met volunteers at the graveyard yesterday and reversed the decision. Councillor Shaz Salim, Cabinet Member for Highways and Public Realm, said, Recently, we had to make an urgent decision to close the graveyard on the grounds of safety. However, we are pleased to say that we have been able to reopen the graveyard to the public today. Councillors and officers met with the Friends Group this morning and had a really productive meeting where we identify the focus of their work and how we can support them. He added, We are tremendously impressed with the work the group have already undertaken and we will be working closely with them to ensure that they can continue their good work, allowing continued safe access for both the Friends Group and visitors to the graveyard. Last Friday, volunteers were greeted by a notice pinned to the gates informing visitors that the graveyard had been closed down because it had been deemed dangerous. John Slater from the Friends Group is delighted all the dedicated volunteers can carry on with cleaning the graves and clearing undergrowth. He said the graveyard is open again and the volunteers and council are singing from the same hymn sheet. I would like us all to forget about the last week and concentrate on the positive aspects of the group and its work. A service station convenience store in Wolverhampton has applied to the council for longer opening hours and extended alcohol sales sparking concerns from police and licensing bosses. The shop at the Blakenhall service station on Dudley Road, Blakenhall, is located opposite Phoenix Park, an area notoriously plagued by incidents of booze-fuelled crime, noise and disruption. It falls within a cumulative impact area, a designated zone where the number, type or density of licensed premises has impacted adversely on the licensing objectives of crime and disorder, public safety, public nuisance and the protection of children from harm. The application has been made by Davinda Talwar, Director of Rondell Trading Limited. At present, the store opens from 6am to 11pm seven days a week, and is licensed to sell alcohol off the premises from 11am. Mr Talwar has applied to open 24 hours a day from Tuesday to Saturday, with sales of alcohol from 10am to 2am and 10am to 11.30pm on Sunday. In further written correspondence, West Midlands Police's Licensing and Regulatory Officer Amy Taylor said, 
We have got concerns around this premises supplying alcohol until 2am. It is situated within the cumulative impact area and I believe allowing the premises to supply alcohol until 2am will have an impact on the zone and surrounding area. Licensing bosses will discuss the application next on Thursday the 18th of August. The applicant, the applicant's agent and all those who have submitted representations have been invited to attend the hearing. An attraction in the black country has fired back after it was compared to a post-apocalyptic video game filled with zombie-like creatures by one reviewer. The reviewer, named only as Roxy, said on TripAdvisor that the visit to Dudley Zoo was heartbreaking and looked like it had been abandoned in a hurry. And they criticised it for being similar to the Last of Us video game, slamming the dirty, drab enclosures and bored animals as they vowed to never return. But the town centre attraction has explained the situation and said that animals are cared for by expert keepers with their welfare being of the utmost importance. The reviewer, who posted in March this year, called the title of their review Scenes from the Last of Us Without the Zombies is on par with this place. They said, Complete waste of a journey and money. We took our toddler here hoping to have a full exciting day out. We spent an hour at most walking around the zoo and castle which I have to say was heartbreaking. The animals looked miserable and bored in their dirty, drab enclosures. The tiger's enclosure is a disgrace. The giraffes were eating flanking paint on their fences. The orangutans looked incredibly sad and abandoned. When walking through the castle entrance, there is water either side full of green dirty water. I assume there was nothing in there. I was shocked to see seals swimming around in it. Honestly, looked like the place had been abandoned in a hurry and the public had just found it again. Was not worth paying full price and given there was hardly anything open or accessible due to construction, I feel it's abysmal to charge customers full price entry tickets. A spokesperson for Dudley Zoo responded, Many thanks for offering your feedback. It is appreciated and we do take it on board and make adjustments if possible. Recent closures over the past two years due to the COVID pandemic did cause delays to our projects and resulted in detrimental financial impact. However, we are now able to continue with our projects and improvements to the zoo, particularly the large new outdoor orangutan enclosure, which is due for completion in a couple of months. This is an exciting project and will result in a much more improved area for our orangs, but does take many months to complete, and we hope that you are able to see the improvements that we have already made. Our prices compare favourably to similar attractions, and we have frozen last year's prices to assist with affordability for visitors. The water in the sea lion pools is changed regularly. Painted shading on the bottom of the pool structure does create a dark effect in the water. Leaves fall from surrounding trees, and the sea lions shuffle and drag dirt into the water throughout the day but it is cleaned daily. The animals' welfare is of utmost importance to us. They are cared for by expert keepers and we have regular inspections and a lot of positive visitor feedback. The giraffes have lick posts around their enclosure for enrichment, which is probably what you saw them licking. I hope this explanation now gives further understanding of the situation. The licensee of a Wolverhampton pub has been ordered to pay thousands of pounds for illegally screening Sky Sports. 
Patrick Hennessy of the Boat Inn, Church Street, Wolverhampton, was found guilty of two offences of dishonest reception of a television transmission at Dudley Magistrates Court on Wednesday. The court heard that Hennessy televised Sky Sports football matches to customers without having valid commercial viewing agreements in place and with the intent to avoid paying the subscription charge. Sky Sports is only available to licensed premises in the UK via a commercial viewing agreement from Sky Business. Hennessy, the designated premises supervisor of the boat in, was ordered to pay total fines and costs of £2,867.20. Licensees that show Sky broadcasts without a commercial viewing agreement risk similar action or even civil legal action. Kieran Sharp, chief executive of FACT, which brought the prosecution, said, Our aim is to help create an effective deterrent to publicans who endeavour to fraudulently show Sky content on their premises, and FACT will continue to protect the intellectual property rights of its clients by pursuing those who continue to break the law. Sarah Stewart, commercial compliance lead at Sky Business, added, Now, more than ever, it's important to protect the investment of our customers. Businesses that show Sky Sports illegally can leave our legitimate Sky subscribers feeling shortchanged. We actively visit thousands of pubs every season to monitor the games they are showing and continue to support facts work to protect hard-working Sky customers who are unfairly losing business due to this illegal activity. Venues who continue to televise content in this way are breaking the law and are at risk of being caught, which can result in licensees being fined and having to pay legal costs and or losing their personal licence. An industrial estate originally created by a black country businessman to ease the job losses from the closure of the old Round Oak Steelworks has been sold for £7 million. Tony Whitaker of Unit 67 Limited said that the work of creating a successful estate had now been completed at Delph Road Industrial Estate in Briley Hill. I set out to help create 200 jobs at the start in 1982 and 40 years on it is employing more than 400, said 78-year-old Tony who now plans to move on to fresh challenges. The seven-acre estate, which has 40 fully let units, has been bought by an arm of the giant Telereal Trillium Property Group. The deal was completed last week. The new owners plan to keep the distinctive 64-ton Chieftain tank that stands proudly at the gates to the estate. Tony, who was born in Delph Road, is fiercely proud of his black country roots. His family have lived at the Delph for 200 years and said he was determined to help people made redundant from Round Oak when he started the estate which took in parts of an old brickyard, gasworks and sawmills. It was a derelict site that had been for sale for 10 years. We built up the estate from scratch, every bit. It's now complete and our work is done. It has been a long hard road with three major recessions, Brexit and Covid to contend with. Tony explained, as he and his family, wife Lynn, son Stephen, daughter Shirley Shipley and granddaughter Grace Shipley, celebrated with champagne by the tank. 
The former weightlifting champion says he has no plans to retire from the business world and is relishing fresh challenges. The family also still run Midland Fabric and Bar on the estate, with Stephen running that as managing director. In the UK, if you see anyone who provides NHS or professional social care, you have the right to be provided with clear methods of communication under the NHS Accessible Information Standard. Now we get to find out more all about this to make sure that you know your rights. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. This is Alastair Hutton with an article titled Accessible Information, Know Your Rights. Whether for a routine checkup or something more urgent, visiting the hospital, a GP or other healthcare professional can sometimes be an anxious time. We all hope the information provided before, during and after an appointment will be clear and easy for us to understand. However, a recently published survey carried out by a coalition of nine charities that support people with disabilities shows there are gaps in the services provided. Many blind and partially sighted people are still receiving information they are unable to read despite the NHS Accessible Information Standard coming into force five years ago. It was designed to ensure disabled people can receive their health and social care information in a format accessible to them. In the UK, if you see anyone who provides NHS or professional social care, you have the right to be provided with clear methods of communication. This applies whether you're a patient, service user or carer and ensures you understand everything you need to know about your treatment and care. This process is called Accessible Information Standard, or AIS. It's been introduced in all four parts of the UK and is being delivered in slightly differing ways. However, the aim of the standard is the same. The service is for people who are deaf or hard of hearing or have hearing loss. It's for those who are blind, partially sighted or deaf-blind and also includes people who are autistic and those with learning disabilities. The AIS promotes a clear, consistent approach to the information and communication support provided to those with a disability, impairment or sensory loss. It helps patients with a sensory loss by giving them access to information that they can understand. This may be in large print, braille or via email and provides any communication support they may require, for example, by offering support from a British Sign Language interpreter. In late 2021, five years after the introduction of the AIS in England, a coalition of charities carried out a review. They surveyed NHS and social care professionals in England, as well as disabled people who have accessible information and communication needs. Of 714 people with communications needs who took part, only 11% of the patients said they have equal access to NHS services. Only 50% of patients with communication needs reported having an accessible method of contacting their GP, and many blind and partially sighted people are still receiving information they're unable to read. 
Of 196 professionals who participated, only 35% reported that their organisation provides regular training linked to AIS, and 37% said training never took place. Only 63% of providers were reported to have a process in place for delivering information in accessible formats, and not necessarily in every required format. You can access the full survey findings at www.rnib.org.uk and search for Review of the Accessible Information Standard. You can also get a Braille version from the same site. It's understood that an NHS England review into the Accessible Information Standard is ongoing and the charities hope the results of their survey will help influence this review. The user-led organisations and disability charities that came together to implement the review were Sign Health, partnered with the Royal National Institute of Blind People, or RNIB, Sense, the Royal Association for Deaf People, Learning Disability England, Visionary, the Macular Society, the Royal National Institute for Deaf People, or RNID, and Health Watch England. TNS Soundings. Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, it's our final block of local news. And starting this one off for us, it's Liz. Keepers at Dudley Zoo have been looking through the jungle book of baby names and decided on a name for their newest orangutan baby. The zoo made headlines when they saw two baby orangutans born within a month of each other. The first was called Jim and the second baby, who is also a male, has been named Joe in a touching tribute to his maternal grandfather and great-grandfather. The Bornean orangutan baby was born to 11-year-old female Sprout on July the 23rd and continues to be reared by Sprout's mum, Jazz, alongside her own month-old baby boy, Jim, after her daughter struggled with first-time motherhood. And Sprout remains happy for Jazz to take on responsibility for her grandson. Zoo director Derek Grove said, Sprout's late father, Jerong, and grandfather Joe were both lovely alpha males and primate keepers were keen to acknowledge their significance in Dudley Zoo's breeding success for the critically endangered species by naming our newest baby, Joe. We're looking forward to watching what antics Joe and Jim get up to together in the future. Dad to both new arrivals is 34-year-old Gigimat, with Joe's birth bringing the number of Dudley Zoo and Castle orangutans to six, with solitary male Benji living adjacent to the family group. The water shined in the sun as a community came together to celebrate its canal. The Wensfield Canal Festival saw hundreds of people from across the area come to the Wiley and Essington Canal near the Bentley Bridge Leisure Park to enjoy a weekend of entertainment, shopping and food and drink. Organised by Hands On Wensfield and held in the car park of the Nickelodeon pub, the festival featured a mix of live bands and musicians as well as fun fair and a range of activities for youngsters. 
storeholders from Cats Protection League and other local groups were on hand to meet visitors while narrowboats moored on the canal side were selling fudge, crafts and other items. It was the first time the festival had been able to take place since 2019 due to the COVID-19 pandemic and co-organiser James Clark said it had grown from a pop-up trading market to a full-blown festival and credited Wensfield North councillor Phil Bateman with helping it grow. He said, We started it in 2014 as a way of getting trading boats together and as the popularity grew, so did the festival and Phil was really instrumental in that, greeting touring parties when they arrived and helping grow this area into a destination. At our peak, we've had around 4,000 people over the weekend and we have real hopes for this weekend, particularly as the weather is so nice because it was gale force winds in 2019 and torrential rain in 2018. Councillor Bateman said the festival was a way of showcasing the history and heritage of the canal and spoke about the nature reserve it had become. He said... It's potentially the longest local linear nature reserve in the country, spanning 23 miles from Wolverhampton city centre to Brown Hills and Chasewater, and we're trying to preserve the bond and benefits of the canal. It's an oasis of calm as people were able to discover it during COVID lockdowns when they went on walks and discovered the canal bringing a 125% increase in people walking on it. A world-first projection-mapped mini-golf experience has opened at the waterfront at Merry Hill. Put above offers visitors a new and unique mini-golf experience where all games are played on the same hole with technology adapting the experience for players. Visuals for each game are projected onto the lanes with players going head-to-head in a variety of entertaining arcade-style mini-games including hook-a-duck, hot potato and a good old-fashioned shootout. The venture, which has seen eight new jobs created at Merry Hill, has digital scoring and lane service whereby refreshments and snacks, including nachos, puttercorn and cocktails, can be ordered straight to the lane. Project manager Luke Bedell said, We came up with the idea for a projection-mapped mini-golf experience during lockdown. With the entire country going, doing so much online, including working, attending school and importantly socialising, we knew that when the time came, people would be itching to get out and enjoy themselves. Mini golf has proven to be incredibly popular in the last few years, but we wanted to bring something brand new to the experience, with an added 1920s theme. For 15 months, we've been developing our technology and looking for this perfect space to debut it to the public, and we can't think of anywhere better than Merry Hill and its visitors to try it out first. A community hub is set to open at Wolverhampton Railway Station, which hopes to celebrate the city as well as offering passengers and residents a place to meet, access business advice and enjoy local art. The Changemakers Scheme is the brainchild of the Wolverhampton Business Improvement District in a partnership between station operator West Midlands Railway and rail firm Cross Country. The facility is being fitted out now, ahead of an autumn opening inside the brand new station building, which fully opened last year following a multi-million pound redevelopment as part of the Wolverhampton Interchange project supported by funding from City of Wolverhampton Council, West Midlands Combined Authority and the Black Country Local Enterprise Partnership. 
The hub has been made possible thanks to a development grant from Cross Country's Customer and Communities Improvement Fund, while West Midlands Railway has provided project management and a community licence for the station unit. Councillor Stephen Simpkins, Wolverhampton Council Deputy Leader and Cabinet Member for City Economy, said... The new railway station building is symbolic of the multi-billion pound regeneration that is taking place in our city and the interchange provides a gateway to Wolverhampton that everyone can be proud of. As we emerge from the Covid-19 pandemic and its restrictions, people are beginning to feel the full benefit of what these impressive new facilities have to offer. It is fantastic to see major names operating from the retail units and the addition of this community hub epitomises what Wolverhampton is all about. I'm hoping this acts as a catalyst for further investment in the station by our interchange partners. The official auction and memorabilia marketplace for the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games has launched. The rare, authentic and exclusive pieces of history and memories from the action have gone on sale, offering fans the opportunity to bring the games home and own a piece of sporting history. Over the coming weeks, the collection will include exclusive items from medal ceremonies, opening and closing ceremonies, the Queen's Baton Relay, official kit worn by fan-favourite sporting stars, equipment from sports and replica tickets. Some highly sought-after sporting items which featured throughout the Games include signed rugby balls from quarter, semi-finals and medal matches, as well as beach volleyballs, basketballs, hockey balls and boxing gloves. The collection also includes some of the most memorable props from the opening and closing ceremony as they become available and runs until August the 21st. Each item comes with a certificate of authentication and an official hologram as part of the only approved memorabilia collection for the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games, with proceeds going back to the Games to fund important community projects. The online auction allows fans to place their bids on a range of collections of sporting and opening and closing ceremony memorabilia. The bidding price will start at £30 and fans will be able to track their bid to ensure they have the chance to collect their pieces of history. Gordon McPherson, owner and managing director of the retailer group, said, It's a privilege to be collaborating with Birmingham 2022 to connect fans with the Games helping the incredible memories live on. We are proud to be part of an incredible initiative which allows supporters to own a piece of sporting history and create a lasting legacy. Up now, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Hello again everyone, we had another scorching few days again last week, never mind though, we'll soon be moaning about the cold weather no doubt, and he rode up, that's got nothing to do with this week's topic, so did you know that, 
The first guide dog puppy that was shown on children's TV in Blue Peter was named Honey back in 1964. That's nearly 60 years ago now. Wow. That's almost twice as long since guide dogs has been around. It being established in Britain in 1931. Guide dogs though have been around for longer than you may think because a 1st century mural in the Roman ruins of Herculaneum and a 13th century Chinese scroll are believed to be amongst the earliest depictions of dogs leading people who are blind. And on June the 11th 1928, Maurice Frank, who was blind and his German Shepherd guide dog Buddy, made the papers when they safely crossed a dangerous street in New York City in, the, in America, in front of reporters. Frank and Dorothy Harrison Eustis, who bred and trained Buddy, went on to start the first guide dog school in the United States. We've come a very long way since those early days. Today, guide dogs is the world's largest breeder and trainer of working dogs. And thanks to the dedicated staff and volunteers and vital public donations, 36,000 lives have been transformed through a guide dog partnership since 1931. Guide dogs, of course, are trained to lead around obstacles including hazards like low branches that may be above the height of the dog but not of its owner. The dogs learn to be responsible for a space two times as wide and up to three times as tall as themselves to keep their owners safe. And guide dogs are considered critical thinkers. Guide dogs are trained to display intelligent disobedience. They will actually refuse to obey an unsafe command from their owners if they see a danger that their owners may have missed, such as a car that might have run a red light. Well, finding out more about guide dogs has certainly been a revelation to me, and I hope that there have been a few points that you didn't know too. In Road Up, I'm off to do some more Googling for ideas for next week and beyond. And don't forget, if you have a topic that you would like me to investigate for odd facts, please let us know, and I'll do my best to include them. For now though, I'll just say bye for now. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra. Cheers for that, Roger. Insightful as always. Up now then, we're over into the football news. Wolves were held to a goalless draw at home to newly promoted Fulham despite wasting a hatful of big chances, while Jose Sarr penalty save denied the visitors a late winner. Within the opening five minutes, Wolves had two big chances, but could not find the net, as they dominated possession and the overall tempo of the game. A much more subdued second half almost ended in disaster, when Fulham were awarded a penalty, and Alexander Mitrovic stepped up to take it, but a strong Sarr save saw Molyneux erupt. Wolves pushed for a winning goal in the closing minutes, but struggled for attacking inspiration, as they recorded their first point of the 22-23 Premier League season. Speaking after the game, Gaffer Lage said, We worked so hard in pre-season, and I'm happy because we played 97 minutes with a good tempo. We put Fulham in trouble, and you can see what they did in the last 10-15 minutes. They had a good chance to score a goal, but in the last 20 minutes, they didn't have the same power as us. On new signing Guardes, he said, He did what we expected after two or three trainings with the team. We now need to adapt and to know the player better, but it was good to see the dynamic he can give us and how he runs. Now it's a question of time to adapt, but we can see that he can give us a lot. 
He can play in the middle, out wide, so for the first game, I'm happy. Wolves next have a trip to the capital as they take on Spurs at 12.30 this Saturday, before taking on Preston North End at Molyneux in the League Cup. Albion lost for the first time this season as Championship leaders Blackburn continued their perfect start to the campaign. Steve Bruce's men were beaten 2-1 on a frustrating afternoon on the road at Ewood Park, where well-taken goals either side of half-time did for the visitors, who remain in search of a first league win. On a strange afternoon in Lancashire, Albion found themselves behind at half-time, having been the better side against the division's leading side. A deserved goal from the visitors' star man Dean Garner might have forced a grandstand finish, but Bruce and his side were made to rue Carlin Grant being denied by the goalkeeper Thomas Kamansky in a big late chance. Handy finishes from distance by Ben Breton-Diaz and Sam Gallagher means Albion's wait for a league win goes on as they head home to the Hawthorns for league clashes with Cardiff and Hull in the next six days before taking on Derby in the League Cup. Speaking after the game, Bruce said, We had our chances, however the way we've played, I've got no complaints. On another day, we could have been worthy winners. The only thing we have to be better on, and I've said this too many times since I've came to the club, is we rely too much on Granty to score us a goal. We have to start taking our chances from elsewhere too. It's something we have to improve on. But the way the performance was, anyone neutral would have come away from that thinking, how the hell have Blackburn won this? The two candidates to be our next Prime Minister are being asked to back a six-point plan to support blind and partially sighted people. Thomas Pocklington Trust has written an open letter to Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss setting out areas for action. The two candidates to be our next Prime Minister are being asked to back a six-point plan to support blind and partially sighted people. Thomas Pocklington Trust has written an open letter to Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss setting out areas for action. TNF Soundings Features from across the UK Hello, this is Anne with an item from the Thomas Pocklington Trust website. It's a letter written by Charles Cohun, Chief Executive of the Trust, to both candidates, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, in the Conservative Party Leadership Contest. Congratulations on your success in reaching the final two in the contest to become the new Conservative and Unionist Party leader and the UK's next Prime Minister. I'm writing on behalf of Thomas Pocklington Trust and the Sight Loss Councils we support to urge you to take determined action to improve the life experiences of blind and partially sighted people in this country. The NHS estimates there are 2 million people living with some form of sight loss and we believe that the government should support blind and partially sighted people of all ages to live the life they want to lead. There are six areas where we are asking you to publicly commit to renewed action. Good health care services. These are vital for everyone but many blind and partially sighted people face long waits to access eye health services, risking a deterioration or onset of preventable sight loss. Half of all sight loss is preventable. 
it is time for a national eye care strategy to bring together disjointed services, improve value for money and outcomes for patients and service users. Employment. Employment is a big priority for blind and partially sighted people, both getting a job and staying in employment as their sight deteriorates. Only one in four people who are registered blind or partially sighted are in work and this position hasn't shifted in a generation. This is an appalling waste of talent that adds to the burden on the benefits system. Navigating the streets and built environment and avoiding obstacles like cars parked on pavements, shared pedestrian and active travel spaces and e-scooters is another important issue for visually impaired people. Too many town and city centres are becoming no-go areas due to poor street design. The government needs to give a lead to local communities in delivering safe and accessible built environments. Accessible public transport. This is important in enabling blind and partially sighted people to get around independently. This means train and bus services that are easy to navigate, accessible information on travel times, routes and prices, and training for staff and passenger assistance schemes that are reliable and effective. The government needs to make good on the ambitions set out in the National Disability Strategy. Education and support for children and young people with visual impairments is key to giving citizens with sight loss the best start in life. Everyone should have the opportunity to thrive in education and that includes getting support and helping young adults to live independently. Good access to social, sport and leisure opportunities is an important part of what makes life worth living. This includes accessible sport and leisure, audio description services on television, cinema and theatre. Too many blind and partially sighted people are shut out of the cultural and sporting life of Britain by inaccessibility or a lack of awareness that can and must change. The Thomas Popkin Trust focuses on education, employment and engagement and we support blind and partially sighted people to live the life they want to live. Our Student Support Service provides information, advice and a support network for students aged 11 and over. We support people wanting to start, restart or progress their careers. We encourage engagement and volunteering and will continue to extend our network of sight loss councils across the UK. We support families of children with vision impairment and professionals with the education service and we provide advice and promote the adoption of accessible technology. We look forward to working with the new Prime Minister and the government to deliver action on the challenges faced by blind and partially sighted people. We would be happy to meet you with any time to share our evidence and expertise and help your leadership to make the coming years a time of transformational change for visually impaired people. I look forward to receiving your reply to our request for you to publicly support blind and partially sighted people. TNF Soundings. Up now, we have to hear what the web has in store for us. Brought to us as always by Mina. 
The weather for this week ahead is mostly settled and mild with just a little bit of rain greeting us at the beginning of the new week. Temperatures will be typically hovering around 22 degrees. UV levels are expected to be moderate throughout the week. The sunrise and sunset times are 6.05am for the sunrise and 8.16pm for the sunset. For Friday 19th of August and Saturday 20th of August, we have sunny intervals and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 21 degrees. For Sunday 21st and Monday 22nd of August, we have light rain and a moderate breeze with a maximum temperature of 21 degrees. On Tuesday 23rd of August, we have light cloud and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 22 degrees. And for Wednesday 24th and Thursday 25th, it's sunny intervals and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 24 degrees. So, that's your forecast for this week. As always, enjoy the weather. Thank you for that weather update, Mina. Up now, we hand over to Craig, who has for us some facts all about our region. From lawn tennis, heavy metal music and automated traffic lights to inventing the pacemaker and microwave, the West Midlands has made it smart globally. The simple process of making the perfect cup of tea can be traced back to the West Midlands. The electric kettle and the Typhoon tea bank were all created in the region. The West Midlands also started the ketchup versus brown sauce debate in 1899 and after HP sauce was invented, a debate was continued to this day. The region is both the birthplace of lawn tennis and rugby. From the birthplace of heavy metal and the ranking beats of two town, the region's art scenes created many music genres. Epic worlds and stories created by J.R. Tolkien and William Shakespeare sit on bookshelves alongside crime fiction enjoyed by millions around the world. Did you also know that Dudley's twin fought with him in Scotland, while Wolverhampton is not formally twin, but does have friendship links with a region in Nepal? And finally, did you know it was due to the efforts of women chalets in Craveith who went on strike in 1910 that today we have the minimum wage? I'm Craig, I hope you enjoyed my facts about West Midlands and the Black Country. Just that, Craig, that wire off Boston. Up now, then, we have our quiz answers to this week's quiz questions. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Are you ready? Question one What was the name of Blue Peter's first guide dog? And the answer, honey. Question two, in what year were guide dogs established in Britain? And the answer here is 1931. Question three, how many people have guide dogs helped since the outset? And the answer here is 36,000. Question four, apart from obstacles on the ground, what else do guide dogs avoid? And the answer here is low branches. Question five. Where is there a first century mural thought to depict a guide dog? 
And the answer here is Herculaneum. And finally, question six. What else are guide dogs trained to offer? And the answer here is intelligence disobedience. How did you do? Great, I hope. But if not, there's always another chance to have a go next week. Now, did you get the answer to this week's guess the sound question that Rob asked at the start of the show? Here's one more chance to hear it before I tell you the answer. The sound you just heard was a recording of thunder. Now, to end this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have a brief history of the six poets appointed during Queen Elizabeth II's 70-year reign. DNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, I'm Nikki. And here's a piece written by Jane called A Brief History of Rhyme. Since 1952, the Queen has appointed a total of six poets laureate, a distinctive honour and quite a responsibility for the chosen poet. During the last 70 years, Queen Elizabeth II has appointed six poets laureate. Each of them is asked to write a poem to celebrate royal events, such as births, weddings and anniversaries. Sometimes they write an ode on the death of a member of the royal family. Currently, they receive an honorarium of £6,000 from the Queen, as well as the equivalent of a barrel of sherry, which nowadays is delivered in bottles and is spread out over the period of their appointment. The first poet laureate to be appointed by the present Queen was Cecil Day-Lewis in 1967, following the death of John Maysfield in the same year. Cecil Day-Lewis had already written several volumes of verse and had been Professor of Poetry at Oxford University. He was known for his poem, Battle of Britain, about the battle between British and German air forces in 1940. And by the time he was appointed Poet Laureate, he had written anthologies which were used in schools and written detective stories under the name of Nicholas Blake. He said that becoming Poet Laureate was a feather in his cap. Sir John Betjeman was appointed Poet Laureate in 1972 on the death of Cecil Day-Lewis. Betjeman was popular and witty and he wrote poetry about what he observed around him. He found it difficult to write about royal occasions, but he composed something for Princess Anne's wedding in 1973 and for the Queen's Silver Jubilee in 1976. Next came Ted Hughes in 1984 after the death of Sir John Betjeman. Hughes did not redefine the post, but was convinced there was a link between the well-being of the country and of its poets, and he raised poetry's status and enhanced its reputation. Well known for his book The Iron Man, he wrote a poem for the Queen Mother entitled Little Salmon Hymn, as she was patron of the Salmon and Trout Association. Ted Hughes died in 1998. Andrew Motion was appointed Poet Laureate in 1999 stipulating that he would only stay in post for 10 years. He wrote a poem for the wedding of Prince Edward and Sophie Rhys-Jones in June of that year, and in 2005 he wrote Spring Wedding to celebrate the marriage of Prince Charles to Camilla Parker Bowles. Caroline Duffy, the UK's only female poet laureate, 
was appointed in 2009. She wrote Rings for the wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton in 2011 and The Throne for the Queen's 60th anniversary. When Carol Ann Duffy resigned from the post in 2019, Simon Armitage, our present laureate, was appointed. He has written a special poem to mark this, the platinum year of the Queen's reign. It is entitled Queenhood. Poets laureate have so far marked many events using their own style, personality and skill. TNF Soundings So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish a happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902-880111. Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV46AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening, and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!